So too many believers today are living their lives without authority. They're, they're, they're living their lives and they're just letting anything the enemy wants to do to them be done. You may, you may notice it this way. You seem to be under attack all the time. And, and not just under attack, you, you, may, you may be getting defeated all the time. And you're living in this, this perpetual thing like, I'm just, I, he won't quit, he won't quit, he won't quit. Listen to me, when you got your enemy on the back, whoever your enemy is, when you got him on his back, you don't stop there, right? You keep going, why? Till you destroy him. You don't get off. So if you're feeling that, then you, it needs to help you understand that, you know what, I need to rise up. Right? In high school, uh, believe it or not, I was skinny. It's true, I, I could pull out some pictures I was skinny. My football coach actually told me, you might not believe this, but I I wouldn't lie in church, maybe outside in the parking lot, but not inside. My football coach told me, he said, if you don't put on weight, you can't play football. Now, you're looking at me today, you know, with shape. (laughs) Come on, somebody, round's a shape. Let's go. Come on. Can, Can I get a witness? I'm in shape. Round is a shape. That's just bad preaching. I don't care what you say. But I was skinny, and the coach said, if you don't put on weight, son, you're not going to be able to play football. I had big bones. I had big structure, but I didn't have much meat on my bones. And, and I, you may not believe this either, but I was a timid kid. I was timid. If, if I accidentally hit somebody and hurt them, I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me, please. Please excuse me. I was kind of I was shy. I was bashful. I was timid. My wife doesn't even believe this about me. And, and there was this time we were doing this drill. I was a sophomore in high school. We were doing a drill. We called it Oklahoma because we took it from Oklahoma State. And they would put two round dummies right here about, I don't know, about this far apart. And you would have an offensive lineman and a running back, a defensive lineman, and a linebacker. And coach would blow, you would line up and coach would blow the whistle. And the goal for the offense was to get the running back to pass up the, the linebacker and basically plow over them. And the goal for the defense was to shut them down and stop them, right? So I'm on defense, and I'm a defensive lineman, and coach blows the whistle, and this dude just blows me up. I'm on my back. I got smooth run over. The running back ran over the linebacker. Little did I know coach was watching me, and he saw my, my, my timid, is it timidity? Come on. <laughs> on, right? He saw my, I'm going to use it again. He saw my timidity. <laughs> Pray for me. <laughs> He saw how timid I was. I didn't know he was getting ready to do this, but I'm on my back. Coach runs up, grabs my shoulder pads, jerks me up off the ground, looks at me in the face, starts screaming and hollering. I don't even remember what he says. He takes his clipboard and starts beating a mess up. Bah, bah, bah. I mean, he's wailing. He went off. And I was timid. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I get mad, I tend to cry. Anybody like me? Come on, please, somebody raise. Oh, thank God. I'm so glad it's not all women. Whew. Man, I took a chance on that. I was like, if it's, if it's all women that raise their hand, I'm in trouble. I'm crying, and he's just calling stuff out in me that I don't even know what he's saying. And, he, and, and the last thing I hear him say is, get in there and kick some tail. And I was like, yes, sir. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And, and I lined up, and, and we were there, and I'm, I'm shaking. I'm scared. And he blows the whistle. And something ignited inside of me that I'd never experienced before. 
I ran over the first dude. I grabbed the running back and slammed him on the ground. And the whole team erupted and coach was jumping and shouting. And I was like, what happened? Right? You see, I was a timid kid and it it took a lot to provoke me. Some of us are timid Christians and it takes a lot to provoke us. And I'm your pastor and I'm your shepherd and I'm watching your life and I'm saying, when are you going to say enough is enough? When are you going to stop taking that? When are you going to stop letting the enemy play with you? Frustrate you, aggravate you, nag at you, poke at you. The title of my message today is, don't just stand there. Don't just stand there. It's as if I feel God saying to us this morning, are you going to take that? Or are you going to do something about it? So today I hope to show you what spiritual authority is, and I hope to show you how to use spiritual authority. Some of you have never had to use spiritual authority because you've not done much for the kingdom. I don't mean that to insult you. I mean that just to make you aware that if you're not trying to advance the kingdom of God, then you're not much of a threat to the enemy. You see, Jesus' last words to us was what? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. So what are we supposed to be busy doing? Reaching people and building lives. Reaching the lost, helping them to be found and saved, bringing them from spiritual death into spiritual life, and then discipling them to launch them back out into the place they came from to reach more people and build more lives. But if we're not busy doing that, then the enemy's going, Psh. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live with the enemy going, I ain't worried about him. But some of us live that way. Some of us live that way where we go, you know what? I want enough of Jesus to feel saved, but not too much to to make the enemy mad. Did that land okay? I want enough of Jesus to say, hallelujah, I feel saved, but I don't want to do enough for Jesus to to, to make the the enemy mad. Come on, y'all, this is where we're at. This is the reality of living on the planet as a Christian. I've been there before where I've I've wanted enough of Jesus, but I I didn't want to do too much to to ruffle the feathers of the enemy because I kind of liked being in the middle ground. Because in the middle ground, there's not much war. If you're not a threat to the enemy, he's not wasting his time on you. He's moving on to somebody who is. Spiritual authority is defined as the right to make use of God's power to enforce spiritual law, which is literally the word of God. So watch this. It's the right that you've been given to make use of God's power to enforce God's word. That is spiritual authority. That simply means this, that you've been given the right to use God's power to enforce his word on the planet. Spiritual authority is God saying to every believer, I give you the right to use my power 
to apply the spiritual forces or the spiritual law, the word of God, to the planet. To the planet, to your area, to your family, to your own life, to your own mind. Come on, you need to take spiritual authority over your own mind. He's playing tricks on you. Look at your neighbor and say, he's playing tricks on you. That's what spiritual authority is. It's the right to make use of God's power to enforce the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 says this, and I just want to make you aware of this. He says, Peter says this, stay alert. Now listen to what he says. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. What is Peter trying to tell us? There's a real enemy coming after your real soul. Come on, if you really got salvation, then there's a real enemy trying to take your salvation from you. You can sit here all fancy and primmed up and proper and think, oh, there's no such things as, as spiritual warfare and enemies and demons and devils. I can tell where you're at. If you believe that, I can tell where you're at spiritually. It's real. Notice what Peter didn't say. Peter didn't say, be afraid of him. Peter didn't say, run and hide. Peter didn't say, cringe down and and bow down and be submissive to and hide out from and don't mess with him. Peter didn't say that. What did he say? Watch out. Be alert. Be aware. He's walking around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You ever watch National Geographic? Which one does the lion go after? The weakest one, right? Why? Because it's the easiest. Do you know the same is true in the spiritual realm? In Christianity, that the devil is going after the weakest Christian he can find? You ever hear the story, you ever hear the joke says, maybe it was a t-shirt says, if you see me running, you better run because there's something bigger than me coming after me. That, that's true in my life. If you see me running, don't ask no questions, just run. And then some people say, well, well I don't have to be first, I just don't need to be last. <laughs> if a bear's chasing me, I don't want to be last. I don't want to be the weakest Christian. It's not a competition between all of us. I just don't want to be the weakest Christian. Right? If the enemy's strolling up into Eunice looking for somebody to devour, I don't want him to be looking at me because I'm, I'm kind of, you know, thick. And I would make a good meal. <laughs> he, he likes skinny people too, though. Just saying. <laughs> He's looking for who he can devour. Don't be afraid of him. I'm not telling you today to be afraid of the devil. The Bible never said to run from him. It never said to to be afraid of him. It never said to be scared of him or even to submit to him. Is that clear? Say it's clear. Now watch this verse in Matthew chapter 10. I want to show you this real quick. It says, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and heal every kind of disease and illness. Who gave that to him? Jesus did, right? It says it very clearly. 
And Jesus gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. I don't know what happened to the air conditioning, but I'm melting like a snowman. (laughs) The guys are trying to fix it. Jesus gave them authority over these things. He is the one who gives us authority today. Jesus still gives us authority today. Come on, we're all going to sweat together. You just soon get used to it, right? I mean, it's, you're, just don't call it you're out of shape. You're just anointed. <clears throat> Jesus gives away authority, doesn't he? You see that in this verse. Jesus gives authority to the other believers to go and do these things, right? The only way Jesus can give authority is if he's under authority. You can't give authority if you're not under authority. You're just hot wind. That's all you are. If you're trying to have authority and you're not under authority, you're just hot wind. There were some guys in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, I think it was, that tried to go and cast out some demons in Jesus' name. You remember the story? They tried, and they, had, they were not under Jesus' authority. They just took upon themselves their own authority, and they tried to cast out some demons. What happened? The demons jumped on them, beat them up, stripped their clothes off, and sent them away buck naked. That's what happens when you try to live a life of authority, and you're not under authority. So Jesus... Jesus was under God's authority. When you read the scriptures, Jesus is constantly referring to God as his father, right? I do what the father tells me to do. I say what I hear him say. I go where he tells me to go. I stop when he tells me to stop. I, 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 I wait when he tells me to wait. He's under authority, right? So because Jesus is under God's authority, he can now turn around and give away some authority. At any moment, if he tries to pull himself out from underneath God's authority, he no longer has authority. This is good. I'm going somewhere. Jesus submitted himself, positioned himself under God's authority. God didn't wrap a chain around his neck and pull him under. Jesus submitted himself there. God doesn't do that to us today. He doesn't require us to be under his authority. He's not that kind of a God. We have the responsibility to position ourselves under Jesus' authority. I choose whether or not I'm going to be submitted to God or not. I choose whether or not I'm going to put myself under Jesus' authority. Too many believers today have prayed a prayer, receiving Jesus into their heart, but never took the next step of submitting their self under Jesus' authority. And it looks like this. I want enough of Jesus to be saved, but not enough to mess with the devil. Because if I get underneath his authority, then I'm going to have to do something with it. Because if you're under Jesus' authority, when you read the scriptures, you do what it says. You seeing this? You do what he says. You don't question it. You don't, you don't argue with him. You do what he says. If he says to go make disciples, then you spend your life making disciples. Right? Not worrying about what the enemy's going to do or not do, but worrying more about what you, how you're going to respond to what God says to do. I want to respond in a way that says, I'm so grateful that you died on the cross for me that I'm willing to do anything, anything, 
you ask me to do. I'm not doing it to make him love me. He already gave me that. Come on, y'all. He can't give you no more than he's already given. It means you can't earn it. We don't, we don't serve God. We don't do what Jesus says to try to get something from him. We do it in response to what he's already done for us. Tell me you're seeing this this morning. I'm somewhere in my notes. I have no idea where I'm at. You don't, get, you don't get authority when you get saved. You get authority when you get underneath Jesus' authority. You can't run around acting like a Christian and be afraid of the devil at the same time. You, you can. You can, but it's foolishness. You can say, praise the Lord. You can speak Christianese, and people may be a little bit impressed by what you speak, but if you're not under authority, you have no authority. Would it be okay to say if you're not submitted to Jesus' authority, then whose authority are you submitted to? Because if you're living your life afraid of the devil, then I would beg the question, are you not submitted to his authority instead of Jesus's? And it looks like this. If I submit to his authority, then I'm okay. There's no problems in my life. Nothing breaks down. I don't have flat tires. My battery don't go dead. People love me. <laughs> this is this making sense? I don't want to be submitted to his authority. I've been there already. It looks good from the outside. Like, oh, I'm going to have peace. He's going to leave me alone. I'm not going to have to do this spiritual battle warfare thing. I won't have to do none of that. I won't have to read my Bible. I can just pretend to be a Christian, but live afraid of the devil. And then hopefully when the end comes, I'll make it. Jesus said in Revelations that you better choose what you're going to be. You either need to be cold or you need to be hot. Because if you're lukewarm, you're going to get vomited out of his mouth. Watch this now. Too many Christians are trying to live in the middle ground. Can I have enough of Jesus, but not too much to mess up the devil? Can I have enough of Jesus to live a little, give me a little feeling, give me a little energy, give me a little life, make me feel alive from time to time. I'm going to come to church on Sunday, get my Jesus. I hope you come to church on Sunday and get some Jesus. But I hope you come to church on Sunday and bring some Jesus. Amen? Because if you're waiting on me to bring Jesus in every Sunday, then you're putting a lot of pressure on me. Amen? You need to bring your own Jesus into this place, and then we get to celebrate it all together. Come on, somebody. Right? Sunday's not your once and done. It's not our once and done. Come on, you got to get this. You can't live in the middle. If you're living in the middle, you're lukewarm and you're going to get spit out of God's mouth. The scriptures are clear. God wants you fiery hot or ice cold, baby, one or the other, but you better choose what you're going to be. Amen? So we can't live for Jesus and live in fear of the devil. We can't be under his authority and be afraid of the devil at the same time. Because to operate in his authority, you got to know who the devil is. He's a punk. He's a chump. 
He's already been defeated. I don't want to be on the losing team. Come on, somebody. Right? I don't want to be on the Falcons team last Sunday when the Saints came back and whooped them. I don't want to be on that team. I want to be on the team that runs out of the stadium celebrating and shouting, We won! We won! Amen? That's the team I want to be. The devil's already defeated. Submitting to Jesus' authority in your life is slapping the devil in the face. It's slapping him in the face. Listen to me, because some of you need to pimp slap the devil today. Can I say that? I did already. It's like this. Slap him. I'm walking under Jesus' authority. I'm not walking under your authority anymore. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not scared of you. Somebody going to have to divorce the devil today. I'm just saying. It's making sense. You can't stay in the safe place. Or what you think is the safe place. It's a lie. To play in the middle means to not live at all. To, to, to live somewhere in the middle between loving Jesus enough, but, but being afraid of the devil enough to try and find some kind of middle peace is actually a slap in Jesus' face. Because you agree that he died on a cross for a good purpose, but you don't agree that it's totally for you. And basically what you're telling Jesus is that, yeah, I, I appreciate you dying on a cross, but that ain't enough. I'm going to stay somewhere in the middle. Because I don't fully trust you yet. But I don't like drama. I don't like trouble. I don't like to stir the water. I, I, don't, I, don't, like, I don't like when things come against me. I, I'm afraid of this spiritual warfare thing. I think maybe that's why he said, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. It's because your life doesn't taste very well when you live in the middle. It isn't very good when you're trying to live in some kind of safe place between loving Jesus, being submitted to him, but yet still being submitted to the enemy. Doesn't taste good. Look at your neighbor and say, it doesn't taste good. So watch this, John chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to show you something. John said this about Jesus. Very first verse in the very first chapter of, of the book of John, the gospel of John, John makes this statement. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. You see that? What he's talking about right there when he's saying the word in capital letters, the word in capital W, he's saying in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. Well, who's he talking about? He is talking about Jesus in that moment. He is referring to Jesus as the word of God. I don't know if you ever read this before or not. But Jesus, according to John, is considered the word of God. Capital W, the word of God. He was there in the beginning. He was there when everything was created. And he is today the word of God. So Jesus is the word of God. Would you agree? 
the word of God sent the disciples out with authority. Who sent them out? Who, who gave the disciples the authority to cast out evil spirits? Jesus did, right? But Jesus is the word of God. Are you seeing this? Shake your head or something. I'm going to keep pounding this point until I... Okay. Jesus is referred to as the word of God. So Jesus gave them authority, spiritual authority, right? But Jesus is referred to as the word of God. So can we say that the word of God gave the disciples the authority to cast out evil spirits, to heal the sick, to heal the lame, to cast or, or to, to heal every disease? Yes, the word of God, Jesus, gave them that authority. Hang on to that. We'll come back to that. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to show you something real quick. You've seen this. Most of you have seen this. You've heard me preach this many times. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. There's a few things I want to point out from it, but I want to get to something at the very end of it. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 starts to talk about spiritual warfare. It starts to talk about, um, it talks about the armor of God. How many of you have ever read the armor of God? Good. I didn't see who raised their hands, but you need to read about the armor of God. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I'm going to start reading the final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all. Say all. Say it stronger. All. all. Say it again. All. He says all. All is A-L-L. All refers to all. A-L-L. All means all. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are... We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. You need to know that. Against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You're not supposed to be fighting human beings. Therefore, put on every. Say every. Say it again. Say all. Say every. You think he's trying to get a point across? You need to put on every part of God's armor. It works best when you got all of it on. They won't let you play football in the NFL if you don't have your helmet on. They'll run you off the field. It says, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on, now watch this, there's six pieces to the army. I'm sorry, six, I put it one hand. There's six pieces to the, to the armor that you need to recognize. The first one is this, stand your guard, putting on the belt of truth. That was where they wore this belt that had leather straps that would fall down from it. You remember what it looks like when you saw a Roman soldier. There was, there was strips of leather that came down. It was to protect them. I, I would have had more than that. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> But it's called the belt of truth. It's not talking about the truth of God's word. It's talking about speaking the truth. Because you can't defeat the father of lies if you're a liar. (laughs) Uh, It's just a white lie. I don't care what color they are. They're still lies. Purple, brown, green, multicolored rainbow. It's still a lie. 
It still talks about your character. It still talks about who you are. Amen? You can't defeat the enemy of lies if you're still a liar. If you're lying consistently, you need to ask God to save your tongue. Amen? It's better to get in trouble telling the truth than to try and get away with it by telling a lie. I did this with my kids. When my kids were coming up and they were smaller, I would always tell them, i said, listen to me. You know, because you know how they are, they get in trouble. Did you hit your brother? No. You telling me the truth? No. Yeah. So I bring them to the bathroom and we had this routine. I bring them to the bathroom and I say, okay, now listen to me very clearly. If you tell me the truth, you're still going to get a whipping. But if you lie to me, it's going to be ten times worse. I drilled it into them when they were young. Because I don't like to be lied to. And I don't want my kids to be known as liars. Come on, somebody. So I'll never forget, I caught one of them lying. Brought them into the bathroom. I said, did you do it? No, no, Dad, I didn't do that. You telling me the truth? Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit, I always, I always mess with him. I said, listen to me, you better understand something. God speaks to me and I hear him. It's a joke, but it's true. Come on, parents. It's true. God speaks to me. <laughs> he going to tell me what them little whippersnappers are doing or not doing. Come on. So we're, we're sitting there, and I'm like, okay, remember now, if you lie to me, it's going to be ten times worse. Are you, I'm going to give you one more chance. Do you want to tell me the truth? It's okay. And the Holy Spirit said, he's lying to you. I said, God just spoke to me. You're lying to me. Oh, oh, I said, okay. I said, well, what did I tell you? If you lie to me, you get it 10 times worse, right? Yeah. I said, okay, bend over. You're about to get it 10 times worse. Why? Why did I go to the extreme? Because I want him to lie. Why? Because I was a liar. I was good at it. I changed the grades on my report card. I got away with it a few times. That's back when they used to pin, pin them in, you know. That was before digital. That's when life was good. You'd get away with some stuff. I didn't want them to grow up to be a liar. So the, the, the belt of truth is basically you just learning how to tell the truth. Come on, somebody. Christians shouldn't be lying. I'm not going to go too far into that. Number two, the body armor of Righteousness. It was a body armor that would wrap completely around them, cover their whole chest, stomach region, all their vital organs. It would cover them all the way around. In most cases, all the way around. It could either be a hard leather or it could be a, a, a hard metal that they would wear completely around them. It was called their body armor. And it would protect their front, their back, and their side. Now think about it. If you were a soldier and you were messing with, or you were fighting against people who, who generally just had either arrows or swords, I'd want something to protect all this, right? And if I had something to protect this and I knew it was good, I would, I would be cool with that. If I go to war without it, I'm going to get real nervous. It's called the breastplate or the body armor of righteousness. It's referring to this righteousness as the righteousness we receive on the day of salvation. It gives the notion of, of the day you were made right with God. That's the day 
That's the day I was, I was, I had the assurance, I was given the assurance that I'm right with God. It's called the body armor of righteousness. It's, it's, it, it protects my vital organs as a Christian, right? It, it refers to that day. That day when I was made right with God, because the Bible says until you give your life to Jesus, you're an enemy of God. But the minute you give your life to Jesus, you become a friend of God. That day was the day I put on my body armor of righteousness, which means this. If you understand what Jesus did for you, that he made you right with God when you wasn't right with God, then there should be a peace about you. In fact, there should be a confidence about you. If you're still wondering if you and God are okay, there's not a confidence about you. And you forgot to put on your body armor. Believers need to know what Jesus did for them. He made a way where there was no way. I could not be right with God on my own. There was nothing I could do. I couldn't dig a long enough ditch. I couldn't climb a high enough tree to be made right with God. It took Jesus dying on the cross for me to go from being an enemy to becoming a friend of God. Amen? And when I understand what Jesus did on the cross for me, and I have that assurance, then the enemy can shoot whatever he wants at me, but it bounces off. Right? Because I'm confident. He's not convincing me or trying to get me to wonder if I'm a child of God. I know I'm a child of God. You got to know that you know that you know. If you're still wondering, you left your body armor at home. It's making sense. You left it at home. You're still wondering. Christians shouldn't be wondering. Right? Shouldn't be wondering. Am I saved today? Am I okay with God? My tire went flat. What did I do wrong? Nothing. You didn't do nothing wrong. Some idiot dropped a nail in the road. You picked it up. Body armor of righteousness. I never read my Bible and the Bible says to freak out. I've never found the scripture where it says to freak out. Like, like when your bills are short, freak out. I've never read that. It never says that. What does it say? Have faith, trust God, believe in him, stand in faith, and it will be done for you. Oh, and it says to tithe. <laughs> Just thought I'd slide that one right in there, you know what I'm saying? Just kind of... Can't complain about your finances if you're not tithing. Number three, the shoes of peace. It'd be funny to go to war with no shoes on, right? This comes from the good news. It comes from the gospel. Jesus died to cleanse us of our sins and make a way for us with, to be made right with God. We should be quiet, peaceful, rested believers. Not anxious, tired, stressed out, and nervous. Come on, if you've got the shoes of peace on, if you know what the gospel is and you know what the gospel's done for you, you don't need to live in the land of freak out. You don't need to live in the land of anxiety or on the street corner called stress. You need to live with some peace inside of you. Amen? You need to know that I'm okay. No matter what comes my way, I'm okay. I will spend eternity with Jesus. Right? Believers shouldn't be stressed out, worried, anxious, and, and fretting all the time. 
Amen? If the world can't tell the difference between you and somebody who's unsaved because y'all both freaking out at the same time, then how in the world do they see Jesus in your life? Make sense? The shoes of peace. Put your shoes on. Look at your neighbor. Say, put your shoes on. Tell them like that. Put your shoes on. There's some peace in your life. Number four, the shield of faith. Paul says it like this. He says to hold up the shield of faith. The shield of faith is what keeps the fiery darts of the, of the enemy from penetrating your life. Amen. It's called the shield of faith. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. It was big. You could hide your whole body behind the shield of faith. Number five, the helmet of salvation. It says, it says this, is, this, this helmet would make you look taller, more intimidating. Look at your neighbor and say, you look better since you got saved. <laughs> you got prettier since you got saved. Come on now. Your life looks better since you gave it to Jesus. You spent all that time trying to clean it up yourself. You didn't get nowhere. Jesus comes in and in one day changes everything. You look better. You look taller since you gave your life to Jesus. You look thinner since you gave your life to Jesus. Come on, you getting this? It's a helmet of salvation. Here we go. The sword of the spirit. This is the one I wanted to get to. All five of the, the first five are all protective pieces of armor. They're there to protect you. They're there to, to keep you from... From, from getting harmed or damaged or wounded, right? I mean, you got, you got a belt on, you got a, 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 a body armor on, you've got shoes on, you've got a helmet on, you've got a shield. Those are there to protect you, right? But then he says, and then you have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So you get a sword, right? Now, you all know my sword. It's my buddy. It's the sword of the spirit. And the reason I brought this out because it's so dang big, you ain't going to forget it. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. It is your offensive weapon. Everything else is to protect you. This one is to conquer with. Come on. The first five are there to defend you. This one's here to conquer the enemy. You seeing this? You need faith to protect you, faith to guard you. You need to know that you're saved to guard you, to protect you. You need to know that you've been made righteous to protect you, to guard you, to keep from the enemy from, from putting lies in your head. But this one here is there to fight the enemy. It's there to kill the enemy. It's called the Word of God. This is your Bible. You can in in the natural. Your Bible looks like this. And it should look like this. Woe out. Look at your neighbor and say, your Bible needs to be woe out. In the natural, it looks like this. But in the supernatural, baby, it looks like this. We see this. Oh, my little Bible is in church. I got my Bible. I got my Bible. But you know what the enemy sees? Oh, shoot. I'm not going to use any other word than that. Oh, shoot. They got their Bible. He got his sword. You know what happens when you get up in the morning and you open this up? 
It's like you get up in the morning, you pull us out from underneath the mattress, and you go, good morning, devil. Good morning. Right? And he goes, oh, man. Come on, somebody. When you get up and read your Bible, you're not just trying to learn something. You're picking up your sword. Right? Pick your sword up. Don't leave it on the ground. Throw it up on your shoulder like you used to. Say, good morning. How you doing? You ready today? Somebody going to fall today. You seeing this? You're not just reading your Bible. (laughs) You're not just reading words on a page. You're swinging a sword, y'all. You got to see this. So anytime I preach, I say, you need to be in the word. I'm not talking about just putting your head in this book. I'm talking about slinging this thing. Amen. It's serious. We take the Bible too lightly. We take the Bible like it's a pocket knife, a Swiss army knife. Does this look like a Swiss army knife to you? This is a knife. That's not a knife. This is, y'all saw all y'all. All y'all like, y'all all went straight crocodile Dundee on me. That's not a knife. This is a knife. I don't know what to do with this thing. It might fall and break something. Let's lay it down. Let's lay it down. Just for a minute. All right. That thing's heavy too. Your Bible's heavy. I just got hung up with the cord. It's the sword of the spirit. It's your only offensive weapon. It's the one you really fight back with. But watch this. It's not, it's not necessarily the whole Bible. Sometimes it's a specific word for a specific situation. The only way you can give somebody a specific word or even yourself a specific word for a specific situation is if you're intimately acquainted with your Bible. (laughs) You are going to go home today and you're going to go to work tomorrow and you're going to find somebody that needs a word from God. They need a word of life and you may be doing war for their soul and you need to have a specific word for their specific situation. But to do that, you got to know your Bible. Come on, somebody. You can't not read this, not live inside of this, not be familiar with this and try to defeat the enemy. That's like going to war without your sword. Get this in your mind. You got a helmet on. Oh, you look good. You got a, you got a shield. Oh, that's great. I like your shield. You got some shoes on. Nice shoes for war. You got your belt on. You got your body armor on, but you forgot to bring your sword. You going to make it to the end? You going to make it to the end? Too many Christians today are trying to make it to the end without the sword. Oh, you look good. Praise God. Hallelujah. You look good. You sound good. You look like you're ready to fight. I don't know if you're going to make it to the end. 
You can't defeat the devil without your sword. You can beat him with your shield. You can take a shoe off like a good mama would and beat the mess out of him with your shoe, but you're not going to kill him without the sword. Are you hearing me this morning? You you might beat him back. You might stop him for a little while. But if you ain't got your sword, you're not going to kill him. Does that look weird to go to battle with all your armor on and no sword? Remember in Matthew when Jesus gave the disciples authority over all the evil spirits and the the diseases and the illnesses? Remember that? Jesus, the word of God. Do you know the same word of God gives authority today? Do you know as a believer, when you get familiar with this thing, you start to walk a little taller. You start to have a little more confidence in your life. You start to poke your chest out a little bit, not in pride and arrogance, but in confidence. Christians need to be confident today. We're meandering around like a bunch of whipped puppies. You look like a Rottweiler that's been abused and beaten. And when the enemy comes, you just kind of whimper. And God's saying to you this morning, you're a Rottweiler. Bite somebody. Stop acting like a Chihuahua. Is that making sense? The word of God still gives authority today. You don't believe me? I double dog dare you to try it. Make a commitment to be in this word every day. Not trying to sprint through it. Not trying to read 10 chapters a day. Read one verse a day and chew on that thing all day and see what happens to you. It don't take a chapter to defeat the devil. It takes a sentence. Somebody. It takes a sentence. When Jesus was in the desert being tempted by the devil, he didn't quote the book of Matthew and wear the devil out by quoting scripture. He gave him a sentence. When he's coming after his stomach, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Take that. Get familiar with your body. I challenge you this morning. To get familiar with your word, with God's word. So what does spiritual authority look like? I'm going to wrap it up with this. What does it look like today? Some people have, have misconstrued and misunderstood that the spiritual authority looks like screaming and hollering. It looks like a church service with somebody shouting and screaming and hollering. That may have been fine for one season of our lives, but it's not fine today. It's not screaming and shouting and hollering. We're not trying to intimidate the devil. We're not trying to run him out by... By hollering at him, we have real authority. Real authority doesn't need to scream and shout. Amen. Sometimes it looks like putting your hand on somebody's head on both sides and shaking them profusely while you're praying over them, thinking that's spiritual authority because all you're doing is aggravating the devil. He might leave just because you shook him to death, but it don't mean you have authority. It's not that. Let me tell you what real spiritual authority looks like today. It's riding in the pickup truck with your son. On a nice looking day. And you're talking to your son. About communicating better. Son I need you to start communicating better. And you just start telling me what's what's going on. And your son says dad. I'm not good at communication. And then your spiritual light comes on. It says lie. 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 And I said son that's not true. That's a lie from the devil. What do you mean? 
I said, because here's the truth. When you go and work with somebody during the day, you come home and you tell everybody in the house everything that you did that day. And I said, you're so good at communicating that, that when you're telling me what you did today, I go there with you in my mind. You're painting pictures in my mind, son. You're such a great communicator. You're like a a, a painter. You're painting pictures in my mind. You're not bad at communication. You're good at communication, son. Didn't raise my voice. Didn't even sound like I just sounded. It was like, son, you're great at communicating. And he's listening to me, right? Now, in the natural, we're just having a calm conversation, right? That's not true, son. You're great at communicating. You want to know what's happening in the supernatural? A sword's getting slung. An enemy's getting cut. And the devil's getting defeated. Because he's trying to tell my son that he can't communicate. And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to stand there for that. I'm not just going to stand around and let the enemy mess with my kids. Come on. I'm not going to let him stand around and mess with my wife. Come on, somebody. You know what he told Cheryl years ago when we were raising kids? You're a bad mama. You're ruining those kids. She believed it. She would come to me crying. I just feel like I'm, I'm not a good mama. I'm, I'm messing up the kids. I'm serious. She's, I'm messing up the kids. Well, I had a choice. I could just stand there and let her believe the lies of the enemy. Let him mess with my wife. Let him. You're not going to mess with my wife. You're not going to mess with my kids. You're going to walk out limping. Amen. And I would look at her and she'll testify to this. I'll say, baby, that's not true. You want to know what so-and-so said about our kids the other day? So-and-so said this about our kids. What was I doing? I was taking truth and crossing out the lie. Why? Because I'm not letting him mess with her. Right? That's spiritual authority, y'all. It's not screaming and hollering. It's not a crazy, whacked-out church service. That's not spiritual authority. Spiritual authority is everyday life. It's when the enemy comes at you, you go, no, that's not true. Because the Bible says when he comes at you, if you'll resist him, he's going to flee from you. Because he's a flea. Right? That's spiritual authority. That's what it looks like. But you can't identify a lie if you don't know what the truth says. Can I tell you this? And I'll finish it up. Today, more than ever. Jesus said this was going to happen. Jesus said, you better get ready. There's a day coming where false prophets are going to come out the woodworks. False teaching, false doctrine. Watch me now. I'm I'm wrapping it up. You better know your Bible today. Are you hearing me? You better know your Bible because there's a lot of slippery truth out there. There's a lot of stuff that, oh, it sounds good, but it'll kill your life. Jesus warned us, and if we don't take the warning and get up in his word, whose fault is it? It's our fault.